Well, good afternoon, everyone. Um, let me uh, get us going at our new earliest start time of one o'clock. Well done. You're adapting uh, to, to that, which is great. Uh, my name is Sam. I'm, I'm on the leadership team uh, here at Gospel and City, and um, it's great to be together again uh, today. As you know, one of the things we love to do uh, is to meet up here in the heart of the city centre. Uh, some of us Christians, some of us perhaps looking into Christian things, but I guess we're, we're taking the opportunity in the middle of our working day to, to take a little bit of time out to come and open up God's Word together, and particularly to do that in the context of the city centre, with everything that's going on around us, knowing what we're going to go back into. It's great for us to have the opportunity to, to see how our faith kind of connects with working life in 21st century Belfast. And having said that, we're doing a series at the minute on um, the book of Haggai, which was not written in 21st century Belfast. It was written in 520 BC, would you believe, in the, in the city of Jerusalem. And uh, we've reached the third of our series of these talks um, today. Um, Steve Old, who's the pastor of Great Victoria Street Baptist Church, is, is with us today. Steve's known to many of us. Uh, great to have you with us again today, Steve. And some friends. Great to, great to see some of Steve's friends with us as well. Um, <clears throat> so we're looking, to, looking forward to Steve coming along to open up uh, the, the second chapter of Haggai uh, with us a little bit later. And I'm, I'm sure he'll be showing us how it is relevant to uh, our working lives here in in 21st century Belfast. Um, so we're going to be reading from uh, verse 10 of Haggai chapter 2 on the, on the right-hand side of the page there. So let me uh, lead us in a prayer to give thanks for the food and to ask for God to speak to us this lunchtime. Let's pray. Our Father, we do thank you that we are a group of people who are able to meet here in the city centre in the middle of our working days to listen to you, uh, to open up our eyes and our ears and also our hearts to what you are saying to us here in our situation today. We thank you for this uh, portion of your word that we're looking at this lunchtime. We thank you for the food and the drink that you've provided to us and the opportunity to meet here in the, uh, in the Clayton Hotel. And we pray, our Father, that you would bless us today, uh, that you would speak to us and refresh us and give us uh, more of yourself as we open up your word together. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so... Uh, Haggai chapter 2 at verse 10. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Ask the priests what the law says. If someone carries consecrated meat in the fold of their garment, and that fold touches some bread or some stew or some wine, olive oil or other food, does it become consecrated? The priests answered, no. Then Haggai said, If a person defiled by contact with a dead body touches one of these things, does it become defiled? Yes, the priests replied, it becomes defiled. Then Haggai said, so it is with this people and this nation in my sight, declares the Lord. Whatever they do and whatever they offer there is defiled. Now give careful thought to this from this day on. Consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. When anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. When anyone went to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, and hail, 
yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. From this day on, from this 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. Is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now, the, olive, the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. From this day on, I will bless you. Amen. Well, good afternoon, everyone. It's really nice to be with you uh, again this afternoon. And as we were reading that, you probably thought, wow, that is quite an obscure passage to be looking at this afternoon, and you'd be absolutely right. When I approach such a passage, I'm really helped by the words of the Apostle Paul writing to the early church in Romans, the letter to, his letter to the Romans, Romans chapter 15, verse 4. Here's what the Apostle Paul wrote about all of the Old Testament scriptures. Whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. So that through the endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So I just love as we begin. Here's one thing we know. That this book of Haggai is in our Bibles to instruct us, to encourage us, and to fill our hearts with hope. And who of us does not need that in the middle of a working week? We need to be reminded day in, day out of the hope we have, the encouragement of the scriptures. So we come to this third message uh, on the book of Haggai. Though I haven't been here for the past two weeks, I have listened to Sam's excellent talks online. Let's recap a little bit of what we've heard so far. In chapter one in Haggai, God spoke through the prophet Haggai to his people who'd kind of been pushing him to the margins of life. You know, if you're a Christian or you're someone who's thought about God, but you're really not that interested, we can do this. We can sort of push God to the margins while we are busy getting on with our own stuff, the stuff of everyday life. Well, God was speaking to the people in Haggai's day saying, it's time for you to consider your ways. You've got to think about your priorities. You've pushed me to the margins. And I want you to think about that. Is that good? Are you faring well? The temple which symbolized the centrality of God in the life of the community, it lay in ruins. And people were getting on with their own lives and just kind of ignoring the fact that that building which symbolized the centrality of God in the community lay in ruins. And God said, Through Haggai, it is time to shake off the shackles of your resignation to half-heartedness. And it's time to get going. Refocus on me. Then in chapter 2, the foundation of the temple had been laid. Some of the older members of the community who had seen the first temple that was glorious looked back and thought, oh, it's never going to be what it once was. We have lots of older people in our church at Great Victoria Street Baptist Church, and I'm so thankful for them. But some of them look at our efforts to revitalize the church today, and I know they look back to the 60s when the church was absolutely packed, and they're like, oh, it's it's not going to be what it once was. And so God speaks through Haggai and says to the whole community, don't look back, look forward. The best is yet to come. And as Christians, 
This is something we could always say. We can always say this. It's one of the wonderful things about the Christian faith. The Christian can say, the best is always yet to come as we hope in everything of Jesus Christ and our future in glory with him. Sam helpfully pointed out how all of that hope of the the latter glory of the house being greater than the former glory ultimately pointed to Jesus Christ, who came in John chapter 2 and said, I am the true temple, in a sense. He spoke of himself as the place where people would meet with God. And so now in chapter 2, verse 10, you can see on your sheets, we read that we're now in the 24th day of the ninth month. Now, that's exactly three months after the people had started the rebuilding work. According to chapter 2, verse 18, this day marks, it seems, the completion of the foundational work of the temple. They'd cleared the rubble. They had established um, what bits of rubble could be kept, what needed to be got rid of, but this was really the end of the beginning. And on this day, the Lord brings two new messages through his prophet. And these words are given to comfort and encourage the people to keep going in focusing their priorities with him at the center. In a sense, this is a word to the people. Keep your priorities right. Keep me at the center. And I think as we think about this, there's something here for each of us as as God through his word would say, make sure You place me at the center of all of life. And so first God speaks this word where he simply says, and you'll see I've got the little outline there. You first, you've got to remember what life was like without me at the center. That's God speaking. Remember what life was like without God at the center. And first, essentially, God says, you were unclean. Now, to understand what's going on, In these opening verses, we need to just get that worship in the Old Testament at the temple came with a whole system of ceremonial purification. To worship God in the temple, you needed to be categorized as ceremonially clean. Sin made you unclean. Contact with death, a dead body, would make you unclean. A system of sacrifices and ceremonial washings were in place to kind of restore you from this place of uncleanness to a place of cleanness. And all of these rituals, symbols, and ceremonies actually pointed to the need for inner cleansing in the human heart to be able to meet with God. So God draws on this whole system of cleanness and uncleanness at the temple to make a point about life with him when he is pushed to the margins. And this seems a bit initially bizarre to us, but let's try and understand what's going on. Verse 12. God speaks through the prophet Haggai, and here's a question that the priests would have found very easy to answer in their day. If someone carries consecrated meat in the fold of their garment and that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine, olive oil or other food, does it become consecrated? Consecrated meat 
referred to the meat of an animal that had been offered up in worship at the sacrifice. Most offerings would involve the slaughtering of an animal, offering a portion of it on the fire, on the altar, and then the worshipper would take a portion of it, give some to the priest, and then they themselves would take some away for a kind of festive meal. And you would eat that meal. So this meat had been in contact with the temple, had been set apart as a kind of holy offering, and then you would take a portion of it away, wrap it up, put it in the fold of your garment, and then go off and have your meal. Now, sometimes when I go into rugby with my son on a Saturday morning, I always think I'm going to get hungry while I'm standing there. So I take a pancake, toast it, put some butter and jam on it, wrap it up in tinfoil, stick it in my pocket, and take it down with me. It's that idea. They're carrying some Something in their pocket, only it's not a pancake. It's kind of in that day, in the whole system of ceremonies. This is holy. This is set apart. This is, this is worship. This is part of our worship at the temple. So the question is, say a guy's walking around with some consecrated meat in his pocket and he brushes against some bread or stew or wine or oil. Does the holiness kind of get transferred to that other food so that it becomes sacred in some way? And of course, the priests, they knew, no, 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 holiness is not so easily passed on. Then the second question, verse 13. If a person defiled by contact with a dead body touches one of these things, does it then become defiled? And the answer is yes. If you've got something holy and it touches something that is dead, that dead thing passes on the Defilement, the uncleanness, the deadness infects that which was holy. The law taught that contact with a dead body rendered someone ritually unclean. So in this example, let's just collapse it down for a moment and think about it. A holy object, we're told, does not transfer holiness to another object it touches. While an unclean object, like a dead body, does transfer uncleanness to another object it touches. The point is this. Impurity is more pervasive and easily contracted than purity. Or to put it more simply, it's easier to make things dirty than it is to make them clean. To illustrate and bring this into today's world, when I'm leaving for church on a Sunday morning, I uh, cannot put my nice pale blue clean shirt on until the kids are in the car. Now, the reason for that is they get a treat often on the weekends. They're allowed some Nutella on their toast. And I have three children, a seven-year-old, a six-year-old, and a three-year-old. Now, our wee three-year-old Grace, when she eats her toast with Nutella, her face is just covered in it. And she'll, of course, just run up to me and be like, Daddy, and if I lift her and that chocolatey mouth brushes against my nice clean shirt, well... It's not that my nice clean shirt remains clean and cleans my daughter. No. The dirt on my daughter's mouth is passed on and makes my shirt unclean and she still needs a bath. So here's the point that is being made here. It's easier to pass on uncleanness than it is to receive and experience cleanness. And then, in verse 14, 
coming off that illustration, God says, so it is with this people. And what God is saying is here is you, my people, are a set apart, consecrated people. You're like, you're set apart. But you've become defiled because of your sin. You've pushed me to the margins. You should be communicating holiness to others. But instead, you've become unclean. You're like a washing machine with black ink in it. You were supposed to promote cleanness. But instead, you've been passing on uncleanness. God is saying here simply, life with me at the margins makes you unclean. You see, to push God to the margins of our lives, this is sin. In the New Testament, we see that ritual external uncleanness was always pointing to a deeper problem of uncleanness in the heart because of sin. Without a right relationship with God at the center of our lives, the Bible says we are morally unclean before God. We're unclean because we have rebelled against a holy God to go our own way. We've experienced the defilement of sin and death. This is a great problem. We cannot solve this problem by ourselves. We need to be made clean in our hearts so that we can worship God. So God, using this example, is saying, here's how you fared when you pushed me to the margins. You made yourself unclean, sinful. Second thing God says you were without me, in the center, you were deeply dissatisfied. Look at verse 15. Now give careful thought to this from this day on. Consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. When anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. When anyone went to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. God is saying to his people as they move forward and reestablish their priorities with him at the center... Here's something there to bear in mind. Remember how dissatisfied you were when I was pushed to the margins of your life. In verse 17, God says, I struck all the works of your hands with blight, mildew, and hail, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. This is profound. God is actually saying, I was the one behind the emptiness. I struck your crops so that they wouldn't bear fruit because I wanted you to see your emptiness without me. If you rely on just material goods and everything that you just see around you and you push me to the margins, I will graciously expose the unreliability of what you're relying on. And so God graciously says, I struck the work of your hands with blight, mildew, and heal. I was trying to show you the emptiness of it all, and yet you still did not return to me. Every single one of us in this room, every single person listening to this online, each of us, we are seeking the same thing. Satisfaction, peace, wholeness, happiness, blessing. Every one of us. 
The problem is we often look for these things in all the wrong places. God often graciously stops us in our tracks and invites us to look back and think over life. Do you fare better when you push me to the margins? Or is it better for you when you keep me at the center? Life, when we push God to the margins, is marked by uncleanness and dissatisfaction. This is what God is saying to his people, and this is what he wants them to remember. And so now in verse 18, he says, From this day on, from this 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. Look back. And let the past be instructive. But then, in this closing verse, he says, From this day on, I will bless you. You are bringing yourself under the blessing of God by having God at the center of your life. How much would that encourage you if you were part of the building team at the temple? But again, we need to see that this ultimately is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. This text, we see the fullest sense. We understand it in its fullest when we understand it as fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And here's how I want us just to think about this in closing. We started off with this great problem. A holy object does not transfer holiness to another object. It touches, while an unclean object passes its defilement on to a holy object. How can a holy God ever reach down to touch our lives and meet us in our uncleanness? How did God bring his blessing to us, a people who were unclean? God, the Father, sent his Son, Jesus Christ, into the world. And it is so beautiful when you see in the ministry of Jesus Christ, when Jesus, the eternal, holy Son of God, stretched out his hand to touch lepers who were ritually unclean. Jesus did not become himself unclean for touching the leper. He made the unclean person clean and he healed the leper. It was a beautiful symbol the leprosy that made, that made this person unclean was actually this picture of humanity and sin. How could a holy God move towards the uncleanness? The uncleanness will defile God. But no, Jesus Christ showed that his mission was to come into the world and he would touch uncleanness so that he would make the unclean person clean while he himself would uphold the holiness of God. And so, on the cross... Jesus Christ touched the sin of this world and took it into himself. And now he can make any who would come to him clean, washed from our sin, which defiles us. The holy can transfer his holiness to the unclean now and make us fit for a relationship with God. And so in Hebrews 10, verse 1, we read, Since the law was but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, 
Let us now draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Jesus came to wash us from the inside out, to take us in our uncleanness, to make us clean so that we could experience the blessing of God. Amen.